0: Hey, everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, director of IWF Center for Progress and Innovation. And I'm joined here today by Angela Logomassini. She's an IWF senior fellow, and she's also a fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, where she specializes in environmental risk, regulation, and consumer freedom. Since joining CEI in 1998, gosh, she's been a long time, Angela. Her work has featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, New York Post, and The Wall Street Journal, among other publications. You can see her on CNN, CNBC, C-SPAN, Fox Business, and dozens of radio shows, including programs on NPR, CNN Radio, and Radio America. Prior to joining CEI, Logan was So this is IT time reading your bio, Angela. Angela served as legislative assistant to US Senator Sam Brownback of Kansas, and was also an environmental editor for the Research Institute of America. Welcome, Angela. Angela is also a very good friend of mine. Welcome, Angela.
1: Thanks for having me on your show, Julie.
0: <laughs> um, so we are going to talk about what some people might consider uh, an obscure topic. Um, there's an, a, a particular kind of chemical that's being, I would, I, you know, I would say sort of vilified um, in the media a little bit, but certainly by anti chemical alarmist. Now, this is something that you have written about. Um, You've written an op-ed about it. You've done some work for IWF about it. Um, And I definitely want to hone in on that issue. I think it's a great example of how um, anti-chemical alarmism can really affect other industries, and in this case, the medical industry. Um, But I also want to talk to you a little bit, sort of get an update on what you're seeing in that activist Area, the anti-chemical activist area, um, sort of get an update on that. But let's start off by talking about um, this chemical called ethylene oxide. It is often shortened to EO. Thank God. Um, and and this is the one that we're going to focus. We're going to focus on today. Again, I mentioned that you've written for IWF on this. You have a great two truths and a lie, which is a fantastic feature that IWF has on ethylene oxide. Um, and before we talk, get too deeply into it, talk to, just tell our audience, what is it? What is ethylene oxide? What are its uses? And why are people freaking out about it?
1: Okay. So it's a gas and it is very effective in sterilizing medical equipment. And because it's a gas, and unlike other chemicals that are used to sterilize medical equipment, it can perforate all the nooks and crannies it doesn't get the product wet so you can pack your bandages and all other items ready to sale and then you put them in these chambers and they they pump the gas in it sterilizes them so they're sterile in the package and it's pretty affordable and it's been used for decades it's also a chemical that's sort of naturally in the environment if you smoke there's ethylene oxide if there's any kind of combustion there's ethylene oxide and the human body itself produces ethylene oxide. So you have it in your blood, and it's excreted through um, urination, and going to the bathroom, basically. And uh, it's not a big problem at the levels you know, in the environment and also in our bodies. And our bodies are very efficient at getting rid of it. But what ended up happening is so these medical plants, these facilities around the country, they've been doing it for decades, and there's teeny, um, tiny amounts that end up in the environment, not even barely measurable against whatever's already in the background, okay, so it's not really a huge um, emission, and they are controlled, you know, they have regulations and all that, but EPA decided to do a study, and they put out this ridiculous study saying that it was dangerous at the zero, you know, point part per trillion, a very, very tiny amount, part per trillion, not billion, not million, but parts per trillion, and it's like,
0: can I just interrupt you right there? Because sure. honestly, frankly, I I do cover scientific issues, but you are you are much more. Um, I think you you understand a lot. Of, you you focus on these issues a lot more, and I think you're 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 incredibly good at sort of breaking this down. But parts per, I feel like it is, and I could be wrong here, but <laughs> and I feel like this is an insane thing we're talking about. It's usually like the measure of safety. They usually talk about parts per billion. I see PPB a lot, right? In, in right. When, right. You, when you're talking about safety. Is parts per trillion a new thing? I mean, because I yes, never actually, seen that. I, and I, I, you I'm know, they, this, but is that a. They
1: used to talk about parts per million because that's all they could measure. So then they got really right. good at measuring. So then they started talking about parts per billion. So they started regulated at even lower, lower levels. Now we're looking uh, at parts wow. per trillion. So the standard that EPA <laughs> set was 0.1 part per trillion, which I believe it or not is 19,000 times higher than the amount that the human body makes. So you're talking about something really wow. ridiculous. Um, Right, you know, so it's
0: as it's well. That, it's, as, yeah, I mean, something that something so your that body makes nineteen thousand times it, more than
1: than they're, than they're, than they're, than they're okay. saying is dangerous. So,
0: <laughs> and we're talking about we're talking about measurements that just because they're able to measure, just because measurements have become, you know, much more sensitive, they're they're able to measure that. But you know, it's all it, when I, I and I know I'm getting off topic here, but I I no, always you know. think about you know, how my mother, when I first had my children, you know, she, I would say things like, you know, people are afraid of this or that, right? And my mom, my mom would always say, goodness, how did, how did I live this long? Right? How did I? And so, you know, if you think about now they're measuring at parts per trillion, well, it's amazing. Anyone lived, you know, past birth, you know, um, years ago, because, I mean, they're going to start measuring things at such tiny amounts. And if they find it, and we should talk a little bit about this because, you know, I, I sort of follow the anti-chemical activists um, in a, it, only as it applies to how, 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 how consumers react to this stuff. And they right, do right. something that is very, very smart. They don't tell you if – you if, for instance, if you look at um, the Environmental Working Group, okay, they always t- put out this, this list, the Dirty Dozen list. They don't tell you, you know, what parts per billion or parts per trillion that is considered unsafe. They just say it's there. We've detected it, and the right. very presence of the chemical is what is what they want you to be afraid of. So by doing this, by making measurements part per trillion, it makes it much easier to make that 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 argument with everything. Because yes. you know, I mean, you know, it, it, so, I mean that that's kind of a nightmare. It's, it's crazy. I saw something.
1: That. I don't remember exactly what. It was. I saw something in the news recently, and it said it's a hundred, it's five hundred million times, uh, or five hundred million parts <laughs> per trillion. And da, da, da. but I, you know, they make it sound like a big number. But then when you do the math and you do parts per million, it's like, oh, it's really, really tiny. It's not even a drop in a swimming pool. So they they play with the numbers to make them sound more scary. Um, they do it all the time, and then that's what's happened in this case. It's the dose that makes the poison. People have to remember, you eat broccoli, you're getting a little bit of arsenic from the environment, from Mother Earth, from the Earth's crust, you you know, you get cyanide in your Brussels sprouts, but you don't die from it. So, because it's such a small amount, you know, a glass of water could have multiple things in it, but they're so tiny, it, it doesn't matter, but... It's scary, and that's what's happened in this case. Well, and so they scare these communities because of this EPA junk science study.
0: Right, right. You have this, too, with pesticide residues. I mean, I, I love that example of a child having to eat, you know, literally buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of strawberries before he reaches and, You know, after those, you know, 32 buckets of – it's probably more like 300 buckets of strawberries, you know – he, uh, he, you know, he only gets to the safe level. He doesn't even get to the t- toxic level of pesticide residue. And yet, you have moms scrambling all around trying to find, you know, the, 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 With it, this is another myth. But the pesticide-free strawberries, when actually organic foods are already grown, you know, are can be grown with pesticides. I mean, the whole thing's just a big lie. But with things like E. O., you know, you, this is a serious, um, you know. It has serious medical uses, um, yes. and I, I, I could I, I could be wrong here, but I mean, isn't there a shortage, or is there some problems with sterilizing <laughs> medical equipment because of this yes. act? These activists. Well,
1: what happened is at the end of last year, the Food and Drug Administration. So what happened is in 2018 and 2019, the scare campaign went out, and the Chicago Tribune created. A real health scare in uh, outside Chicago in a few towns with a series of articles saying people were going to get cancer, they're going to get leukemia. So they actually shut down a facility outside of Chicago in a town called Willowbrook, and then other areas started paying attention. And a bunch of about seven of these facilities shut down, and so FDA started wow. issuing warnings. They they have a shortage of pediatric breathing tubes. And then in the fall, they held a conference with some experts, and they were warning that if anything bad happens, say we had a pandemic, for instance, there was going to be a big problem yeah. with medical supplies, and that's exactly what happened. So you had a, the perfect storm, if you will. And then fortunately, um, FDA was able to get these communities to open up most of the facilities. Only the one in Willowbrook is still not opened, um, and that will not be reopening. Yeah. So they destroyed that one business.
0: But but where, where else? I hear, isn't this also bubbling up in Georgia? And there's some others? Yes. That, I don't know if you know that, but I I feel like I've seen reports from other states. Yes.
1: Yeah, so Georgia was another area where they had some problems and they had shut down facilities. And FDA actually, um, they had to actually bring a lawsuit uh, to get this one facility to open up because the community wouldn't open it up. And now there's still a swirling health scare EPA is working, they've been monitoring, background levels are still well below uh, levels of concern, but they're going to put out a regulation. They put out one to regulate the producers. Now they're going to put out another tightening in 2021 of these facilities, but right now they're operational. And it's real important that EPA go back and fix that study or get rid of it so that we can have rational policy because there are costs and there are human life costs when there aren't sterile medical supplies. We may not know those human lives, and they may not be even measurable. You know, it's hard to measure and attribute these things.
0: You say that they need to go back and they need to fix the study or they need to correct the study or they need to show the evidence and they need to present the evidence and certainly do better a better job of that. I mean, one thing I've always had a problem with is these agencies have a very do a very bad job of communicating this stuff to to the public, although it is science and these things are confusing. Goodness sake, you know, I, it took me, you know, it took me a week to even say ethylene oxide without, you know, the, you know, you know, stumbling all over myself. It was not that hard. There are other, gosh, there are other. Glyphosate was another one that took a while. So, you know, I get that these things can be hard for people to explain, but they do need do a better job. But this brings up, and I, you know, I don't want to put too much to the to, to politics here, but tell me a little bit about what was the regulatory state of these kinds of chemicals and you know other you know other you know even agrochemicals under the obama administration i would assume that there have been, there has been an easing up of these types of uh, i would say regulations based on bad science since trump right. the trump administration came in is that
1: correct that is correct they haven't corrected the ethylene oxide stuff and interestingly that wasn't even a regulation it was an assessment it wasn't a full risk okay. assessment; it was just a partial one that one of these research entities at the, at the EPA put out. Um, but there have been some pushbacks, surprisingly, because I'll tell you, most Republican administrations are too afraid. Um, but they push yeah, back yeah. On the, another one that's hard to pronounce: chlorpyrifos, which is a pesticide. Oh, I've never,
0: been, I've never been—I've never—I've never been able to do that. I admire you so much. Say it again.
1: So chlorpyrifos. it's really important for orange growing and lots of fruits and vegetables. You want to be able to afford healthy fruits and vegetables. Farmers need tools. And this case, the study that the Obama EPA used, one study, very bad quality, the Science Advisory Board or the Science Advisory Panel at EPA said, not a very good study. And the researchers who are funded by NIH and EPA um, are really activists. They're not really academics. Yes. And they put this study out, and they refuse to release the data because the data is incomplete and, and very poor quality. That's you know, and so well, they, not, nobody can validate yeah. it because they won't release it. But right, the Trump right. EPA I, has pushed yeah. back, and and they did not ban the chemical, and so they are trying to improve the science, which is very positive.
0: And I I tell you, I but I tell you that the, the activists are so spun up about that. You know, I tried to find some information, I. Um, I know you have written on it. I really encourage people to go to CEI.org and find Angela's um, uh, writing on that pesticide, which I can't say. Um, Chlorpyrifos?
1: You know what? That's how I've been saying it until a colleague of mine corrected me. (laughs) He said, no, it's chlorpyrifos. (laughs) (laughs) Chlorpyrifos.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, I don't listen, know I, something listen, along those lines. I, re- I rely on smarter people like you to say those tough words. So the point is, is that there is a pesticide out there that is probably, you know, it's funny, and I feel like it used to be glyphosate and this one, and it still is. I mean, people still freak out yes. about Roundup and glyphosate, but this one is sort of taken over as the number one, uh, you, know, you know, supposedly scary pesticide. But again, you say a really important thing. You know, farmers need tools and what a lot of what a lot of people um you know get hung up on is 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 not the specific pesticide it's the idea that pesticides are used at all um and it's really too bad because i think if people do speak to to farmers and i have and i know a lot i grew up in illinois, central illinois i grew up with farmers and but also i've I know a lot of farmers, and I talk to a lot of farmers, and these are tools that help them increase yield. They care about the environment. They care about their land. They probably care about their land, you know, or, uh, land in general, the earth in general, more than anybody else. They really because they won't make it. They won't grow anything if they if they right. destroy their own land. So, not to um, mention the so fact without
1: without those pesticides, they'd have to plant more land. There'd be less land for wildlife. Exactly. They have to plant a lot exactly. more land. So, That's environmentally exactly right. speaking, right. is a positive.
0: Yes, it is, and and I think you know this is a sort of obsession. All of this, whether it's um, fear of pesticides, uh, fear of certain chemicals like EO that um, that are, are critical in the medical community, um, the sort of alarmism that we see out there for these products really has some very scary consequences and I'm really glad that you're out there uh, sort of fighting back on this and and I want to also reiterate that Angela wrote a great very easy to read and it's it's let me tell you something it is not easy to take really complicated issues and make them understandable to what I would say lay people like me like I am not a scientist and I try to do that in some of my writing Angela is a master at it and her latest at IWF is Two truths and a lie about ethylene oxide, and I really encourage people to to go there because, again, you know, it's about a page, page and a half, and it's sort of you can kind of test your knowledge on the issue. Um, and she gives some some you know sort of quick, short, um, you know, very helpful information on that. So so thanks for for doing that, Angela.
1: I was happy to do it.
0: IWF does great work. Great to be part of the team. Yes. Yeah. Well, listen. Um, I think we're gonna. I think, you know, we've covered a lot of issues here, and we're going to wrap it up. But, um, you know, tell, tell people where they can find you and where they can find your writing.
1: Well, they definitely can check out IWF. I did a blog post in those two pieces, CEI.org. You can search for my profile on there. And then I also have a lot of sort of background information at safechemicalpolicy.com as well.
0: Great. and if you're a mom out there, seriously, this is the kind of thing that scares moms a lot. You know, um, when I first had, and I've told this story a million times, but when I first had children, I was I was actually terrified. I thought that um, additives in food and chemicals and manu- that were used to to improve really improve um, products in manufacturing were actually dangerous and were going to harm my child, delay my child's development, or cause him some some sort of problems. And um, as I really examined these issues, and I read articles from people like Angel Logo Massini, I really felt relieved. So do check out her writing at CEI and again at IWF.org. We hope you take away something from today's conversation. If you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks or like the podcast in general, we'd love for you to take a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. This helps ensure our message reaches as many Americans as possible. Share this episode and let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at IWF, don't forget, you are in control. I think, you think, she thinks.